You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. I am incredibly grateful to be here uh, for the sole purpose of spending time with you in God's Word. So why don't you take your Bibles and open up to the book of Acts, chapter 15. We're going to be at the end of chapter 15 and into the beginning of chapter 16. So as you're kind of turning, getting yourself situated there, let me just let you know that I I truly am so grateful to be here with you. And um, actually, uh, this is kind of a a double dose of Harvest Oakville for me. Last week, we had a couple of your worship leaders uh, with us, Greg and his wife Mel and Louie. Um, They came and they blessed us and served us by leading us in worship. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Louis actually helped plant our church with us six years ago, and uh, he spent three years part of our core team, and we just love him and Claudia and his, his two little girls so dearly. We're so thankful for them. You are tremendously blessed to have him, and, and you're tremendously blessed to have the pastor that you do, and, and uh, I just want to encourage you. I love your pastor. Robbie Simons is, is as he mentioned, he's such a dear friend to me. He's been such an encouragement to me in my walk with the Lord, an example to me, and you know, if I could just say one thing about Robbie, it's this, that every time around him, he makes me want to be more like Jesus Christ. And I mean that sincerely. And uh, I, I walk away from my time with Robbie so encouraged and so refreshed in the Lord. And we need that, don't we? We need people like that in our lives who we can look to and are saying, by their life, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and you have that in your pastor. And no doubt, and, and, uh, the pastors and elders here, I've seen that as well. I'm so refreshed by him and reinvigorated. And you know, just speaking of being refreshed, I don't know if you've noticed, but I think um, all of the leaves are officially on the ground. And um, winter is fast approaching. It's a nice way to start your message, isn't it? Remind everybody of what's to come. And uh, just honest, honest question here, and maybe you can just be real honest with me. Quick show of hands. Uh, how many of you are already ready for a vacation? All right, I, and the, the rest of you, I don't believe you, and the sermon's on lying today, and we're going to get, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good to have vacations, but just a little bit of a fact for you. Did you know when you read through the Bible, it mentions virtually nothing about vacations? Ooh, that just cut deep. In fact, if you look throughout most of human history, did you know that most people couldn't ever afford to take a vacation, and most people actually didn't have the leisure time to take a vacation. Most people were simply working day to day to provide for their their daily life and to keep on surviving. Vacations are a a modern day convenience, which by the way, we praise God for. Amen. Um, I'm incredibly thankful for that, but I'm, I'm really struck by that, especially as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Because when I think about the Christian life and when I look at the Apostle Paul and his example to us in so many different ways, one of the things I'm so struck by is that the Apostle Paul, um, though it would appear if anybody needed a vacation, it would be him, he seems to be so relentless in his pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is so relentless in the mission of Jesus Christ to advance the cause of the gospel. And he's such a profound, I think, example for us that when it comes, listen, to the Christian life, in the ultimate sense, there really is no vacation, is there? There is no vacation from God. There is no vacation from the calling of God on our lives. And I think Paul, he he demonstrates for us this heart for the Lord that is always ready for more. More of you, God, more of what you've called me to, more of what you're sending me out for. And just real quick, I'm not opposed to vacations. I, I praise God for vacations. We do need to be refreshed from time to time. We need to be recharged, especially for future work for the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the ultimate sense, we don't take vacations from the Lord. And I think, my sense is, you know, I'm aware of of the series that you guys have just gone through as a church. I'm a Christ follower, the five G's. And I think what, what God is doing, I hope you get a sense of this, what God is doing in your church is amazing. But I hope you get the sense, too, that God is just preparing you. He's getting you ready for more. And I would want to urge you from the word of God today, and I would want to plead with you, listen, don't let up. Put the pedal down. God is calling an army of people for himself. Do you see that? He's getting you ready because there's work to be done for Jesus Christ. And I love that you you landed those five G's on the go time, right? The Great Commission, we go out into all the world and we make disciples. And listen, in the, in the greater sense of things, it doesn't matter where you go, it only matters that you go. 
And my heart for, for us as a people of God, for your church, for my church, for every church who claims the name of Jesus Christ, is that we are ready for more of what God has for us and what God is calling us to. And I think Paul demonstrates for us that if we're going to be ready for more, we have to have embedded in us this missionary mindset that we are always to be going and making disciples. This is the call of the Christian life. And so as we look into God's word, let me begin by praying. Would you bow your head with me, Father? God, we, we believe with all of our hearts that you are doing a mighty work. God, in this church, in your church, Lord, you are moving, you are stirring hearts, you are saving lost sinners, you are preparing your people for a greater work that is to be done. And so, God, we would just bow before you now in this moment, and we would declare to you in all humility, God, we so desperately need you. We need you now, Lord. We need you to speak to us. So, God, would you open our hearts wide to you and to your word, and would your spirit have freedom to move in power in this place? God, we submit ourselves in this time to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's jump into God's word. Here's our thought for this morning. We are cultivating a missionary mindset. And the first thing we need to see from God's word is this. If we're going to cultivate a ministry mindset, it means I need a growing love for the church. Look with me at Acts chapter 15. I'm just going to read the very first verse because it really situates us well. It says this, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. I love that because I think instantly in one verse we get the heart of the Apostle Paul for the church of Jesus Christ. There is such a deep love in his heart for the people of God. You notice the first phrase there in verse 36, it says, after some days, that statement reminds us of the deep love that he has for the church. It reminds us, in one sense, of all that's come before in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. You see, he's found himself back kind of at his home church, the church in Antioch. This is the church that sent him out on his first missionary journey. He's already gone out on a first missionary journey. They've laid hands on him, and he's been sent off into the region called Galatia. He's shared Christ in a, a number of different cities. He's seen people come to faith. But along that journey, listen, he was beaten. He was persecuted. He was stoned and left for dead at one point. It was a treacherous trail that he was on through deep and dark and terrifying mountain passes, 300-mile journey on foot. Paul gave himself in his first missionary journey for the church, and then what he does is he comes all the way back to home base, and he begins to pour his heart and soul out to strengthen the church there that he loves so deeply, and after many days reminds us, listen, that he'd also been fighting some significant battles in the life of the church. In Acts chapter 15, in fact, uh, it tells us that there had been some false teachers or some, some Judaizers, some Jewish Christians. They've kind of crept into the life of the church and they've begun to tell people who are already saved that you need to be circumcised and obey the law to truly be saved. And Paul goes to bat against these teachers and he fights to the death in one sense and he goes all the way back to the church in Jerusalem and they hold this huge all-church meeting with the pillars of the church and they come to the profound, listen, in such an important conclusion that salvation is by grace alone. And Paul has fought this battle. Listen, can you see Paul's love for the church? And now, after many days, he's come back and he's shared the verdict of the council and he's encouraged the church and he looks at Barnabas. Barnabas was his ministry partner. They had gone on this first missionary journey together. I mean, they had, had cried together. They had sweated it out together. They had shed blood together for the cause of Christ. They loved the church of Jesus Christ. And he looks at his dear brother and friend Barnabas and he says, let's go back to all those churches. So why, why did Paul love the church so much? I think the first thing we need to note is this. Paul had the right theology of the church. 
Paul understood how God felt about the church. In fact, I want you just to look here on the screen. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul makes this important point. He's speaking to the, the Ephesian elders at the church in Ephesus, and he's leaving them. He's appointed these elders, and he says to them, here's his heart for the church, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Listen to this. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, Paul's theology of the church reminded him that the church was Jesus' church. He was the one who purchased it with his own blood. Paul would later call the church the bride of Christ. He would call it the body of Christ, reminding us of how important it really was. You see, Paul understood one thing that, that we must understand if we're going to truly love the church. The church is a divinely ordained and created institution given by God, listen, to extend the gospel to the world. The church, you have to believe this if you're going to love the church. You have to believe that the church is the hope for the world. The church is the place where the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God is protected, preserved, and proclaimed. And he knew this, and he cared so deeply for the church of God. And when you understand this, when you believe this with all of your heart, you realize that there is nothing more important that you can give your life to than the church of Jesus Christ. Look at Paul, and we see not only, listen, what a love for the church looks like, but we see how to cultivate a deeper love for the church. And I just want to show you three things that I think we can find from this text, draw out, that really will help us cultivate a deeper love for the church of Jesus Christ. The first thing is this, being with God's people. Being with God's people, it's so obvious. We see Paul's heart to be with God's people. Let us return and visit the brothers. This term is a term of endearment for Paul. These are people that he has won by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to faith in Jesus Christ, and his heart is so united to theirs. It was a priority for Paul. And you know, I think if we looked at the life of the Apostle Paul, we could say this, that everything in his life revolves around the church of Jesus Christ. And, and here's what I mean by being with God's people. I mean moving beyond superficial relationships with God's people to deeper, more meaningful, life-giving relationships with God's people. You know, the, the early church met often. Do you realize that? Acts 2.42 tells us that they, they met not only at the temple, you know, large gatherings, but they met throughout the week in each other's homes. There was this constant sense that they knew they needed to be around one another. They needed to have meaningful relationships to strengthen and build one another up to see the work of God continue to move forward. You know, we live in a time where church is so often seen and viewed as being optional, unimportant, and inconsequential. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who look me straight in the eyes and say, you know what, I don't really need the church. Me and Jesus are doing just fine. And you know that that directly conflicts with the Word of God. In fact, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews actually calls out people who are thinking like this, that I don't need the church and it's that, not that important. And, and look at what he says. Look at how important this is. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Did you catch that part? As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, can you see how important it is to have these deep and meaningful relationships with one another? These are the means by which we stir one another up, we build one another up, and we go out together to fight for Jesus Christ. If we were to look at your calendar, let me ask you, would your life revolve around the church? Or is the church just kind of squeezed into your weekly schedule? As Christians, I believe we need to be so intentional about this. The church needs to be a priority in our lives, and I'm so thankful as I look around this room to see how important the people of God are in this place. Secondly, I think we can cultivate a growing love for the church, not just by being with God's people, by following up with God's people. Oh, this is so, so important to see. Do you notice the heart of Paul here? He wants to go and return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. And look at this, just catch this, and to see how they are. 
It's so sweet, isn't it? I mean, Paul, Paul wants to follow up with these people. I mean, he, he's not just concerned that they come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. He's concerned about how they're growing and maturing as disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, it really speaks to what our heart should be for people, shouldn't it? And here, he wants to follow up and, and you know, cultivating a love for others means you not only know what's going on in their lives, but you care enough to actually check in from time to time. You know, I was... I was here, I think, a month ago now and uh, at Harvest University. And by the way, thank you. We were so appreciative. Our church was so blessed by Harvest University and so served by, by the so many people from your church who volunteered, and it was just a blessing to us. And while I was here, I, I got a chance to meet with, with a friend of mine I hadn't seen in quite a while. Maybe, I think it was six months ago I had seen him. And, and, uh, and, and when I sat and I talked with him, you know, I had forgotten, but the last time I talked to him, I, I actually, you know, he's one of those friends where he says, hey, how you doing? I say, well, I'm doing okay. And he said, no, how you really doing? You know those friends? You got some of those in your life? Right? Now, how you really, and, and you know what? And, and I just said, look, here's what's going on in my life. Here's some things I'm struggling with. Here's some, some things I'm wrestling through. And, and you, know, you know, like a good friend does, he stopped. He prayed for me right there. And I had forgotten all about this. And you were sitting down, we're talking. He said, yeah, I remember six months ago you shared. And he just listed off the four things that exactly verbatim that I had shared with him. And he just said, I just want you to know, I have been praying for you. And can I just ask you, how's it going in those areas of your life? And in that moment, can I just tell you how, how cared for and how loved I felt? How appreciative I was that he would remember and that he would want to come alongside me and actually care for my soul in that way. And can I just encourage you that we can grow in our love for the church when we get better at doing this. When we come alongside one another, in fact, I thought about this. You know, there may be some people in your life right now who desperately need you to follow up with them tonight. And they've shared some things with you. They've shared their heart with you and and you know, you know even right now, you can think of that person, you can see them in your mind, and you know that God is laying them on your heart. Can I just encourage you, would you respond to that even tonight? Would you, would you send them a text message? Not right now, put your phones back away. <laughs> when we're done, what a, what, a, what a valuable thing it might be for you to take out your phone and just text them and say, I've been praying for you, how is it going in this area? Or to say, let's get together this week for coffee, I wanna follow up and see how you're doing in these areas of your life, how loving that is when we do things like that and how that grows our heart for the church of Jesus Christ. And lastly, look at what we can see in the life of Paul, investing in God's people. He wants to be with God's people, he wants to follow up with God's people, and he wants to be investing in God's people, and this is, this is so vital that we see this. He wanted to make a spiritual deposit. You see, the question we need to ask is why, why is he so intent on going and taking this long, arduous, believe me, this was a painful journey for Paul the first time he did it. Why is he wanting to go back so desperately? Just drop down to verse 41 for a second. This is eventually what he would do. It says this, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. His heart was that the people of God would be strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to preach the word. He wanted to care for their souls by pouring into them the things that would bring about greater maturity and love for Jesus Christ. Can I just encourage you, church? Listen, you cannot love what you will not invest in. What you pour yourself into is what you will inevitably love most. And you just think about that in your life for a second. Maybe it's your studies, whatever you're investing in. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's your body, you know, the gym and, and health. Maybe it's good things like your family. Whatever you're investing more of your thought and time and energy and resources into is inevitably what you will end up loving most. And there is a vast difference between attending church, listen, and investing in church. Between being a spectator and being a player in the game. And can I just encourage you, you will see as you begin to, you know, God has gifted you. I look around this room, how many people are represented here and across the, the two more services they're going to have. God has gifted you so uniquely to be used in the building up of the body of Christ. And as you use your gifts, as you pour yourself into the life of the church, whether that be in formal ministry or informal ministry and relationships, you can be assured of this. The more you invest, the more your heart will grow and expand with love for the church of Jesus Christ. Secondly, cultivating a missionary mindset requires this. It means I need a growing commitment to the mission. I think this has been hammered 
sufficiently over the last five or six weeks in this church, but let me just add my voice to it. Notice what happens, verses 37 and following. It says this, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." This is so fascinating. Here are these two brothers. You know, they've been through so much together. They're getting ready to go on their second missionary journey together, strengthen the churches and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the excitement and anticipation that went into that. And all of a sudden we see that a massive argument and disagreement erupts between these two brothers. And the language that's used here reminds us that this was a, a passionate passionate disagreement. And if we understand what's at stake, we can understand why this was such a passionate disagreement. The issue here really is about commitment to and therefore the success of the mission. That's what this is all about. And Paul's concern is, is somewhat legitimate here. You see, John Mark is the, excuse me, the cousin of Barnabas. What you may not know is that John Mark actually, he left with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but when the going got tough, John Mark got going. He abandoned them. I mean a legitimate abandonment where, where likely Paul and Barnabas were pleading with them and he's saying, guys, I didn't sign up for this. This is too hard for me. I didn't realize it was going to be this painful and this challenging and I just got to go back home. This is way too hard for me. And Paul and Barnabas probably pled with them, John Mark, how could you abandon the mission? I mean, what are you talking about? We need you. What are you doing? And all of a sudden, in this second missionary journey, even though, listen, that's what it, it tells us here, John called Mark, Paul thought best not to take that one, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone, not gone with them to the work. Paul says, are you kidding me, Barnabas? It was a little bit more violent than that. He was angry. He's like, are you kidding me? After all he did, we, we can't afford a weight around our ankle. We can't afford somebody who's going to slow us down. I mean, really? What, what if this time it's as bad as it was the first time, Barnabas? He's just going to blow out of there again. There's too much at stake. Barnabas is like, come on, why don't we just give him another chance, Paul? And they have this incredibly difficult conversation. You know, there's been a lot of ink spilled, a lot of trees butchered over trying to figure out who was right in this, right? You kind of look at that and you're like, who was right? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? And some people think that, you know, this is an example of Paul who was in grievous sin and how could he not give him a second chance? Other people think that Barnabas is wrong. I mean, Paul is the apostle and Barnabas should have submitted himself to the authority that had been given to Paul by Jesus Christ. You want, you want my opinion? Even if you don't, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> See, who's right? Here's, here's my thought. I think they both are. I don't, I don't think this is a right or wrong issue. I don't think either one of them is in sin. I think that both of them had valid points. They really did. This was a wisdom issue. Both of them had valid points. Both of them had incredibly strong convictions. Both of them, at the end of the day, wouldn't budge. And, you know, sometimes we can be stubbornly sinful, can't we? And we never want to justify that kind of stubborn, prideful resistance. Shame on us if that's, if that's us. But sometimes there are equally valid options and legitimately different ways of going about things. That's so helpful to know in the body of Christ, isn't it? And so often we think our way is the best way when there could be a whole bunch of equally valid ways of doing it. And we don't always agree, and we can even disagree passionately in the body of Christ. But one of the things I love is this, that Paul and Barnabas, they seem to disagree amicably, and I believe that God uses this. You know, I don't think there's animosity or bitterness in their hearts. They seem to come to this, you know, I guess we're just going to have to go our own separate ways. And you know what I think? I think that Satan saw this as an opportunity to halt the mission of the gospel. 
I think Satan saw this. He said, you know what? I'm going to drive a wedge between these incredibly close friends, these two unbelievably gifted evangelists and shepherds of the church and missionaries, and I'm going to drive a wedge between them, and I'm going to stop this mission moving forward. And God took a look at Satan's plan and had a good laugh and said, well, what you think you're going to divide, I'm simply going to multiply. Instead of one missionary team, now we got two. All right. And the point I want to make is this, listen, we all have a part to play. We all have room to grow in the mission of God. You know what? God has gifted us differently. Some of us have different personalities and even different callings. There are characteristics of each of the men that are mentioned here that I think can help us grow in our commitment to the mission of Jesus Christ. And I just want to look at them just briefly and highlight a few things for us that I think would be beneficial to us as we think about this and wanting to grow in our commitment to the mission of Jesus Christ, I want you to see first Paul, a press forward with urgency. You know, Paul is an amazing man of God, and he reminds us of the necessity of being urgent in the mission of Jesus Christ. In fact, I think we look at Paul and what we see is that he had very little time to waste when it came to the things of God. You know, some of the, the church's greatest leaders have been strong personalities, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, listen to this. You know Martin Luther, the great reformer? Martin Luther, in a famous self-evaluation, said this. He said, I am rough, boisterous, stormy, and altogether warlike, fighting against innumerable monsters and devils. I am born for the removing of stumps and stones, cutting away thistles and thorns, and clearing wild forests. I'm glad he said that about himself. I fear for anybody who might have said that about him. And he was used, wasn't he so incredibly by God at a time where a strong man was needed to stand up against Rome and to blaze a trail for Jesus Christ. You know, Paul is the same way. He is blazing a trail for the gospel and it is an incredibly beneficial thing that he was a man with strength and urgency. He knew his calling and he didn't want any hindrances. His time was sensitive and he needed proven faithful and willing partners. I love, though, Barnabas. We can learn some things from him. Some of us need to, to really grow in this area, draw near with compassion. Barnabas is, is such a sweet man, and you read through the book of Acts and everything that's said about him, you're just so encouraged. In fact, his name means son of encouragement. He is a man who is made to encourage, and his calling and personality were very different than the Apostle Paul's, and I'm sure that he was used so mightily, especially in his ministry with Paul, but with his ministry, going his separate way from Paul, listen, he had more time to work one-on-one with John Mark, and that's exactly what John Mark needed, and we need to see the benefit of having those with greater compassion who can help draw people in and build them up when they're down You know, that reminds me when we look at John Mark, listen to this, get up with resilience. You know, John Mark, what a mess. This is a man who, listen, who failed, and he failed miserably. He fell flat on his face. But what I love so much about John Mark is that he wanted a second chance. He he knows he messed up, and he's like, hey, hey guys, would would you just give me another shot? I got to make this right. I really want to be used by God. You know, recently I sat with a young man who had been in ministry, and, and he, 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 I don't know all the details, but he was no longer in ministry, and, and I saw him and sat with him, and he was weeping. And just through tears in his eyes, he, he looked at me, and he just said, he said these words, he said, I just want to know if God could ever use me again. You know, I think so many of us feel like that, don't we? So many of us have fallen, we've failed, we've struggled so much with sin, we haven't been faithful and obedient, and we feel a lot like John Mark, where, where can, you know, can God ever really use me again? And you want to know what the resounding answer of the Word of God is? Yes. Yes. Grace abounds to sinners like you and me, and where we have fallen and failed, God loves to pick up and restore and to use. Isn't that awesome news, church? I'm so thankful for the example of John Mark who gets up with resilience, how we desperately need that because we will fall, we will fail, and we need to stand back up and start marching forward again. And, and lastly, look at this, Silas, step out with preparation. 
You know, Silas, uh, we, we know from chapter 15 that Silas was a man who was going to be greatly used. He had pedigree, and he, he was well-trained, and you can tell that, and he was a leader in the, the church in Antioch, or excuse me, in Jerusalem. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Jew. He had the gift of uh, prophecy. He spoke Greek. All of these things would be so valuable on this missionary journey with Paul. He had actually come back with Paul from Jerusalem after the Jerusalem council, and, and he had been used there to share the message, the, 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 the answer from the council with the people of God, and it says that he stayed and he encouraged the church, and I just think that Paul, Paul had his eye on this guy. He was watching this man. He saw his usefulness. He saw that this was a man who was well prepared for more. You know, I'll often have People come to me and say, Ian, I don't know what God is calling me to. I just know I want to be ready. I, I know I need to be more prepared. There's nothing more encouraging to me than having someone say, you know what, I know God's calling me to this, but I just, I, w- tell, me, tell me, what books should I be reading? What classes should I be What ministry should I get involved in? You know, just an eagerness to get ready for what God is calling to. And I think what we see we can learn from Silas. Listen, be faithful in the small things and watch how God begins to use you in the greater. Paul says, this guy, this guy is going to be useful. And it should be of great comfort to us that God chooses the right people for the right job. Make no mistake about it, God will always use people who are deeply committed to the mission. And every one of these individuals is committed in their own way, with their own giftings, their own personalities, and they would see the mission of God move forward in power. You want to cultivate a ministry, a missionary mindset. Third, look at this, I need a growing desire to multiply myself. We see in verse chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came to came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Paul goes back to Derbe and to Lystra, and he finds there a young disciple named Timothy. Uh, First and second Timothy in your Bibles were written to this young man. At this time, most scholars believe that Timothy is between the ages of 16 and 24. That's their best guess. He he is a young man, but I want you to see that already his name is known in cities that are miles and miles apart. He, He has been a faithful follower of Christ. He is being used greatly already by God. Timothy had a good reputation. Paul sees an opportunity here. You need to note this to increase the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To see the growth and maturity of the Christ, of the church, excuse me, spreading. So he grabs this young man and he commits himself. We know this throughout scripture. He commits to pouring himself into this young man, Timothy, to training him up. What, what lessons Timothy must have learned on this journey with Paul? watching this man preach the word of God, watching him interact with different kinds of people who believed all kinds of different things, the winsomeness, the wisdom, the courage, and the boldness, the sacrifices, the personal instruction one-on-one time. You have to see this. Adding Timothy was strategic for the apostle Paul. He knew that adding Timothy to this missionary team would ultimately benefit the broader church of Jesus Christ. And so he begins to reproduce himself. Timothy would become so dear to the Apostle Paul, eventually becoming his right-hand man. He would be sent off to pastor the church in Ephesus. I love, Paul, Paul calls him a son in the faith. They forged such a deep bond together. And, and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what he says. That is why I sent you, Timothy, 
my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, terms of endearment, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. You see, Timothy had been so well-trained. Paul had multiplied himself, and he feels so confident that he can send this man out as a delegate, so to speak, to speak on his behalf. Everything that he has said and done can be clearly taught by Timothy. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2, he says this, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. And he had poured himself into this man. And we need to be so intentional with this. Ran into a, a young man at Harvest University. We actually planned to sit down together. He he was a college student when he was attending our church in the Durham region. And I, I remember when he first came to meet with me, uh, he was incredibly skeptical about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he walks in uh, with a Lee Strobel's A Case for Christ, and it has got about a hundred uh, kind of sticky notes attached to it. And he wanted to sit down and go through every single one. I said, uh, we're going to have to set up a few more meetings. Um, and when I watched this young man digging into the gospel of Jesus Christ and eventually surrendering his life to Jesus Christ. We saw him baptized in our church and an older gentleman in our church took this young man under his wing and began to pour his life into him, began to give him the fundamentals and the basics. Three years later, we're sitting here for coffee at Harvest University out there in the foyer talking about what God is doing in their life and he tells me he's at Harvest Brantford right now. He tells me about how he's been pouring himself into the church there, and he's actually been asked to come on board and help get started the youth ministry. Can I just encourage you that the investments you're making, pouring yourself into people is not a waste. And God uses that so greatly. Who knows? Who knows who the next Timothy might be? Who knows if you would give yourself to this, what God might do? And we need to have this mindset that we are disciples who are making disciples who will make disciples. Amen? That is our objective here. You've got to be intentional about it. And listen, being both Jew and Greek, you'll notice what the text says there. He's the son of a Jewish woman and... His father was a Greek. It's likely, by the way, there's a kind of a past tense verb used here when it talks about his father, which implies that his father is probably dead. But he's half Jewish and he's half Greek. And it's so fascinating here because Paul takes him and circumcises him. And if you're following kind of the book of Acts, what you realize at this point was that this kind of seems to con conflict with the message that Paul has actually been bringing to the churches. He's actually been bringing a message on behalf of the Jerusalem council saying, hey, hey, you just got to imagine the scene. Paul's here before this church. Timothy's out in the crowd. And he's like, guys, there's good news. I know you've been told that you need to be circumcised and keep the law to be saved, but I've just come from Jerusalem and here's the message from the leaders of the church. None of you have to be circumcised to be saved except for you. And Timothy's like, what? It's probably actually higher than that. It's like... <laughs> but don't be confused here. This is not Paul saying that you need to be circumcised to be saved. Not in any way. That problem has been established. There is no law keeping that can get you saved, that it's not possible. Grace alone is what saves all sinners. This is an example, listen, of Paul's willingness to become all things to all men, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, so that he may win some. And Paul says, I, you know, you got to catch this in the heart of Paul. And he poured this into Timothy. He, he modeled this for Timothy. I'm willing to give up any one of my rights, anything that I can willingly do and I'm free to do, I will gladly give it up if it means that I can remove an obstacle so that somebody can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. And that should be every single one of our hearts. Paul would say, I'll become, listen, to the Jew... And to the Gentile, I'll become a Gentile. As one without the law, I'll become as one without the law, so that I might win those without the law. And then I'll, I'll act like a Jew. If you want me to act like a Jew, so that I might, you know, speak to the Jews. Sure, fine, that's fine with me. I'll give. I don't have to, but I will. Timothy was half Jewish, you see, and the fact that he, he wasn't circumcised was a statement to the Jewish people. 
they would have seen him as somebody who would abandon his ethnic identity and instead chosen a Gentile identity, and that would have been a massive obstacle. Everywhere Paul went, he went first to the Jews, to the synagogues, then to the Greeks, then to the Gentiles. This would have been such a hindrance, and so Timothy gladly removes the stumbling block and says, whatever is necessary for acceptance with God, or excuse me, for acceptance by others, powerful example for us. Verse 4 and 5, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, and the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is the goal of multiplying yourself. This is not a one man or woman job. Training others to strengthen and to go to the church is essential. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is our goal, and this will strengthen the church of Jesus Christ. We need to be disciple-making disciples. It also means this. Listen, I need a growing sensitivity to God's leading. If you want to cultivate a ministry mindset, you need a growing sensitivity to God's leading. And this is so interesting. In verse 6, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, catch this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. <laughs> this, is, this is remarkable, isn't it? I love this. God is directing their steps, and I just want you to notice here that Paul seemed to have other plans, right? Oh, I'm going to go over here, and he's like, nope, you're not. Okay, well, I guess I'll go over here. Nope, you're not going there either. You know, the, the HS GPS was rerouting constantly. It's Holy Spirit. Gee, that went over my church's head, too. It's okay. <laughs> he's like, oh, no, I used Apple Maps instead of Google Maps. Where am I going? Yeah, a few of you got that. They keep running into roadblocks. You know, this is so fascinating because God will often lead us by restraining us or preventing us. We call these closed doors, don't we? You know, man may plan his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And we don't know, by the way, what's so fascinating about this, that we don't know how God actually closed these doors. It doesn't tell us how the Spirit of Christ, how the Spirit of God actually prevented him from going to these places. It just tells us that he did. It could have been some kind of an internal, maybe impression. Maybe he just knew he wasn't supposed to go. Maybe God used a prophet to prevent him from going. Maybe he used weather patterns. I don't know. The point is that he did. And with nowhere else to turn... What we see is that God pressed them. If you look at the map, it's so fascinating. He pressed them through this little pathway, taking them to this little port city named Troas right on the Aegean Sea. And you need to see how strategic this is in the plan of God because it is from this little port city that the gospel would now leap into an entirely different continent. This would lead them right into Europe. And I, I'm just... I'm reminded by this as we look at this. We can learn from this. I love that Paul doesn't stop moving. Don't you love that? Like the Spirit of God's like, no. He's like, fine, I'll keep going here. No. I think so many of us will just kind of often find ourselves stopping and standing still. And what we need to see is this. If we want God to continue to steer us, we need to keep moving. Just keep your feet moving. Keep doing what you think God is calling you to do. Keep being faithful to what you know God has called you to do. And let him guide and direct you. I think of it like this. Listen, it is incredibly difficult to steer a parked transport truck. Okay? But listen, when you get that thing moving all 75,000 pounds, however heavy they are, listen, that's a very easy thing to steer in whatever direction you need it to go. Just keep moving and watch how God steers you. And Paul kept moving because he believed that God was sovereign. He kept trusting God to steer, and it's so fascinating. Finally, God gives him clarity. Notice that in verse 9 and 10. A vision appears to Paul 
in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, telling him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And it was right now at this point, Paul, he had seen the vision. Immediately, he says, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that such an important word that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That word concluding means literally that it was being brought together. Everything in that moment had been knit together so perfectly. You see, God calls us to obey even when it's not our plan, even when we don't understand why or where or how or when. God wants our unquestioned obedience. And when he speaks, he expects immediate obedience. Now listen, you're likely not going to get a vision from God. You're likely not going to get a voice from heaven. But let me encourage you, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, and we have something more sure the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. God has revealed so clearly His will to us through His word. Amen? Let me ask you, church, listen, when God speaks so powerfully through His word, when He brings conviction to your hearts, are you quick to obey? G. Campbell Morgan has this great quote, he says, says this, he says, be willing to go not where I may choose, even by my love of the Lord, but where I am driven by the Lord's command. Rest in the Lord in the darkness and know that God's shortest way to Troas may be athwart our inclinations and purposes. It is better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without Him. I want that to be my heart. God, I just want to go with you wherever you are leading. Maybe following God is hard for you right now. Maybe you're in a challenging season of life. Maybe you're spiritually dry and wandering in the wilderness. Maybe you've been delaying. Maybe you've been avoiding. Maybe you've been resisting or even outright defying God's word for you. Maybe you know God is leading you right now to do something. Maybe you know God is calling you to deal with a sin in your life that you are just clinging onto and holding onto with everything you have. And God has been saying, let go, leave it at the cross, go to it no longer. Maybe God is calling you to be reconciled to somebody in your life. Maybe you know God is calling you to go and witness to somebody. Maybe he's been laying somebody on your heart and you've just been resisting, saying, God, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm too fearful, and you need to hear God calling you and saying, go and do. And would you confess that to the Lord even now? And by God's grace today, would you choose to obey him? Lastly and quickly, I need a growing love for the lost. I wonder, listen, if you were struck by what was said in this vision. I think we can read it really quickly and miss the gravity and the depth of what is being communicated here. This vision, Paul sees this man in this place, Macedonia. And can you get the sense here of of the plea? It, It says that this man was standing there urging him. He is pleading, Paul, come over to Macedonia. Come over here and listen to the words, church. Listen, and help us. Oh, that we would see every single soul like this in desperate need of help. Paul sees a a place, he sees a people, and he sees that they are in desperate need of help, and he understands what we need to understand, church. When we see a world around us that is in desperate need of help, we need to understand what Paul says here, that we have the only help that will ultimately save them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he must go and preach the gospel to them, that that is the help for their soul, for their eternity. And so he responds so quickly to the leading of the Lord, and he gets up and he begins to move, Lord, would you give us this passion to preach your name? Many of you are familiar with the movie Schindler's List, based on the 
the true historical account of a man named Oskar Schindler, an ethnic German businessman who saved over a thousand Jews by employing them in his factories during the Holocaust in World War II. And for years, many people asked the question, why did he do this? What motivated him to do what he did? One of the most common sentiments of the Schindler Jews, the Jews even who were saved by him, was this, I don't know why he did it. Why, why did he spend so much money? Why did he spend four million of his own francs? Why did he invest so much time and energy and thought into saving these Jews? Why did he risk his own life to save them? In 1964, he was interviewed standing in front of his dingy apartment in West Germany. And Oskar Schindler finally commented on this. He said this. He said, the persecution of Jews in occupied Poland meant that we could see horror emerging gradually in many ways. In 1939, they were forced to wear Jewish stars and people were herded and shut up in ghettos. Then in the years 41 and 42, there was plenty of public evidence of pure sadism. With people behaving like pigs, listen to what he said. I felt the Jews were being destroyed. I had to help them. There was no choice. But there was a choice. Not everybody did what he did. Not everybody had the same mindset that he had. Not everybody was convicted like he was. Not everybody was prepared. Not everybody was ready to do what he did. But what he saw and understood about the fate of these people so stirred his heart that he had to act. They needed help, and he knew that he could do something about it. Church, there is a world around us crying out for help. Their fate is far worse than the Holocaust. It is eternal destruction and separation from God. I wonder, does our knowledge of this eternal reality drive us with urgency to say, I had to help them? There was no choice. Maybe you're here today because you recognize that you need help. And you're like this Macedonian man. God has been stirring in your heart and he has been leading you to hear the truth even today that your sins can be forgiven. That God came and he died for you. That he rose victoriously as we've sung from the grave that you might have life and life to the fullest. Maybe you're seeing today that you, you know that there was no distance that this God was not willing to travel. There was no cost he was not willing to pay. He would come from heaven to earth and he would pay with the precious blood of his own son. Say, why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Church, love for the lost comes only from a deeper love and affection for Jesus Christ. And love for Jesus comes, listen, when we are reminded that we were the ones in need of help and our great God came for us. God would stir our hearts with that knowledge even now in this moment. We were the lost, we were the helpless, we were the needy, we were the ones without hope in this world, and God brought us help. God brought us hope. God came, He sought us, and He found us, and God came and paid the steepest price of all the blood of His own Son. What will your response be to this truth? My prayer is that you will have a mindset like Paul, that you will go to the world and that you are ready for more of what God is calling for you.